journey, we saw that God spoke. That God has not left us without a word from Him. I think sometimes we forget that God has given us (coughs) everything that we need in Jesus Christ. If we have Him, you got the answer. You might not know how that answer is going to work out your situation, but you have it. And we have to learn to, to rest in that reality, the reality of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And really, that's what Hebrews is all about. The supremacy of Jesus Christ. The fact that He is better. He, we saw in the first three verses, He's better than the prophets. God spoke in times past through the prophets, but now He has spoken to us in these last days. Look, the last days began the moment the incarnation happened. The, the, the pinnacle of all of history was Jesus Christ coming. The pinnacle of all of history was the incarnation, the, crucif- the crucifixion, the resurrection. And now we await that, that final crescendo, which is the return of Jesus Christ. And as we long for, and as we look for that day, the writer here in Hebrews is laying out for us the supremacy of Christ. Look what he tells us. He's going to tell us, That Jesus Christ is not an angel. He's the Son of God. The the Word's going to tell us He's not an angel. He's to be worshipped by the angels. Hebrews is going to tell us He's not an angel. He's the Creator. Hebrews is going to tell us He's not an angel. He's their King. And so as we look through, as we work our way through the supremacy of Christ, I just want you to see, because exactly... What Weston was talking about is so vital for us. What is that? The idea that we would know Him. To know Jesus Christ. To know the the fellowship of His suffering. A lot of us have a little concept of that, don't we? There's things we've gone through, struggles we've gone through, maybe in in a small way, some others maybe in a greater way. We can understand the fellowship of suffering. But He also wants us to know the power of his resurrection. You get that suffering's not it, right? Amen. That, that suffering happens because we're in a broken place and we're broken people. But the power of the resurrection lives in us. Amen. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Amen. That's in us. The word of God lays that out for us. How do we come to lay hold of that? Well, he tells us to know Christ. So as we go through these first three chapters of Hebrews, listen, it's all it's about is helping us know Jesus. Know who He is. Know what He has done. Know the work that He's accomplished for us, in us, and through us. So hopefully, <coughs> as we work our way through, we'll be able to see it. We'll be able to see it. There's five things that are going to jump out in these next <coughs> ten verses, God willing. Or two and a half things, if we only get that far. We'll see. But the first thing is his position. Let's look at it. In uh, Hebrews 1, beginning at verse 4. He says, Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. It's interesting because the writer of Hebrews uses unique language that kind of jumps out. Like, I wonder why he said it like that. 
And then we begin to, to dig in. I, I like what John Piper says. John Piper says, if you come to the Word of God with a rake, you'll get leaves. If you come to the Word of God with a shovel, you get gold. So sometimes we got to do a little digging, right? Sometimes we got to say, hey, what, what is it here, Lord, that you're laying out for us? His position. Well, let's talk about it. <clears throat> we'll talk about three things. First, let's talk about His incarnation. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, that, that God became flesh. It's a pretty incredible concept. In fact, <clears throat> the same word in verse 4, having become, that word become means that, that there's been a change in, in something. And something has changed. You were once A, but now you have become B. Are you with me? So there's a change. It's not a beginning it's a change. So it says the same thing in John 1.14. John 1.14 says, And the Word, what's the Word? Became flesh. Didn't, didn't come into existence. That's not the Word became. The Word became is a, is a word like, a, like a, a butterfly. A butterfly didn't come into existence when it came out of the cocoon. It existed before that, right? It just was different. Same exact word. Jesus Christ, God, became flesh. He became. When He became flesh, the Bible tells us <clears throat> that He was made a little lower than the angels. But then there's a moment where He became greater. Where He became greater through the incarnation, through His life, death, and resurrection, as we're going to see. And the fact that Jesus Christ is now... On the throne, king. He became a little lower so that God would lift him up. What's the word of God tell us? What does the word tell us? The word tells us that if we humble ourselves, what happens? God will lift us up, right? It doesn't say you. I can take parts out of one and put it in another one. Yeah, I don't know if it'll last. It says, it's never a good sign when you plug it in. It says low bat. <laughs> we'll see. <coughs> Lord willing, I might be on this one. But nonetheless, okay, so we see that there's been a, a change in nature. A change in nature in the incarnation. Jesus became lower than the angels so that he could become higher, so that he would have a more excellent name. Why is it that Jesus Christ, not just because He's God, that'd be a lame uh, 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 or an easy thing to point to, but why is it that He has the name above every name? Why is it that His name is above every name that is named, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess? Why is that? Because Jesus humbled Himself and became a man and bore our sin upon His cross died and rose again. He humbled himself so that Yahweh 
lifts him up. And so he has become <clears throat> higher, higher, so much better than the angels. Look at 1 Timothy 3.16. It says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. For God was, a moment in time, manifested in the flesh. So it mean God became flesh. He was justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in the glory. And I just want you to keep that picture. Daniel chapter 7, remember the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days. And as you think about that in Daniel chapter 7, <coughs> I also want you to think about, for, in case of emergency, I also want you to think about Jesus' ascension. Okay, the work is finished, the resurrection's over. He spent his time with the disciples, told them, you guys stay here until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then go. And then what did he do? He ascended into the heavens. He ascended before the Ancient of Days. And then when we look at Psalm 110, we're going to see in a moment, God looks over at His Son, who has completed the work, right? What did He say? It is what? Almost done? Mostly finished? He said, it is finished. So His Father said, sit here at my right hand until what? I make your enemies your footstool. You see the, the elevation of Jesus Christ as King, sitting on the throne, awaiting the kingdom that, uh, that the Father is preparing for Him. So, first thing that we see in His position, His incarnation, Jesus Christ, God became flesh. He humbled Himself. We also see His inheritance. He has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. He has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. What is He talking about? He's talking about the angels, right? <coughs> His name is greater than the angels. There's a specific name that they're talking about here, and that is Son. Son. He became, he is, he is known as the Son of God. Now look, there are several places where the Scripture talks about sons of God, isn't it? The angels are called sons of God in the Old Testament. Believers, you and I are called sons of God in the New Testament. What's the difference? The difference is, he's not sons plural. He is the one and only unique Son of God. And the Word of God declares that to us. Guys, as we look at the Word of God, in John 1.18, says, No one has seen God at any time. The Father. Nobody has seen the Father. What does the Bible clearly teach us? That the Father is Spirit. The Father is Spirit. And in fact, it's interesting because when you look <clears throat> in ancient... Uh, Judaic beliefs, the Jews, ancient beliefs, they believed in something called the two powers. The two powers is the idea that there was Yahweh who is spirit that you could not see, and Yahweh who was flesh that you could. One said, you can't see me or you'll die. But the other would be representative. And you see him over and over again in the Old Testament. Remember when Abraham sits down to have lunch at the, at the, uh, the terebinth trees, uh, the oak of Mamre. He sits down to, to have dinner with who? Yahweh and two angels. So the concept is, the, have you guys ever seen a Yahweh before? No? Me neither. I haven't either. Sometimes it, it frustrates me because we talk about Yahweh as though there's something else in creation we can point to that is Him. You get what I'm saying? 
It's not like an elephant or a crocodile or a rhinoceros. Although maybe we haven't seen all those things, but we've seen pictures and descriptions. He's Yahweh. There's nothing like him. Yahweh is so incredible, so much different from anything that we've ever seen. He is eternally represented by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we go, yeah, but I don't get that. Well, I'm sorry, you've never seen Yahweh before. One day you will. You won't say, I don't get that anymore. One day you're going to stand before the throne. You're going to see the Son sitting, ruling and reigning as though He is a lamb that has been slaughtered. And we say, I don't know what that looks like. I don't either. But I know that we'll see it. The book of Revelation talks about it. The book of Revelation lays out for us. So he's saying here, look, <clears throat> he has by inheritance. What is this inheritance? He's God in the flesh. No one has seen God. Look at the next phrase. The only begotten son. Now, that is an unfortunate translation. The word only begotten, because it messes with our minds. We think begotten means born. That's not what it means. The Greek word is the word monogonaeus. Monogonaeus means one and only. He is the one. There's nothing else like Yahweh. There's nothing else like Yahweh the Son. There's nothing else like Yahweh the Father. There's nothing else like Yahweh the Holy Spirit. There's nothing else like Him. But Jesus Christ... He is the one and only Son. Definite article. He is the Son. <clears throat> not like the sons of God that are angelic. Not like the sons of God like you and I who come to faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one and only. The monogamous. That's what that word only begotten means. Monogamous. One and only. Who is in the bosom of the Father. Where is the Son? What's the Bible say? He's in the bosom of the Father. God's everywhere, right? Man, there's nothing like Yahweh. There's nothing like it. It'll melt our brains. John 3.16, what's it say? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten, Monogamous, His one and only Jesus. There's only one like Him. There's only one like Him. He gave His one and only, the unique Son. What is the name that is above every other name? Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's nothing else like it. He's the one and only, original, monogamous, the only one like Him. Look at Acts 4.12. Acts 4.12 says, <clears throat> Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, God, is salvation. The Son of of God. He is so much better than the angels. Ephesians 1.21 says, He's far above principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named. <coughs> what, how many names is that? Most of them? Well, it's all of them. Oh, so he's higher than every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He's the one and only. The only Son of God. He has obtained a name that is far better. So that Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 would say, Therefore God has exalted Him, and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, how many knees? Every knee will bow, 
How many tongues? Every tongue will confess. What are only those in heaven? Nope, those also on the earth, right? Both those who are in heaven and those who are on the earth and those who are under the earth. Everywhere, every place that covers it all, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. He is King to the glory of God the Father. It pleases the Father to exalt the Son. Is that a strange concept for those of us who are fathers? I don't think so. I don't think so. So we see not only his incarnation, his inheritance. What does he inherited? A name above every other name. But then we also see his identity. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. <coughs> when has God ever said that to an angel? So it is a rhetorical question that demands the answer no. Which is proof that Jesus Christ is not an angel because he said it to him. You with me? He, this is, these are words he spoke to his son. Or I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. What is that all based on? It's based on the resurrection, guys. It's based on the resurrection. At least that's what the word of God tells us. Listen to what the word of God says. In Psalm 2-7, that's what he's sharing from. Psalm 2-7 says, I will declare the decree. This is God speaking. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now that was something, Psalms 2, that was read over every single king in the history of Israel. When he sat on the throne, they would read Psalm 2 saying, now you have become a son. God is your father. He's going to direct you. He's going to take care of you. All of it was a picture of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the final king for the nation of Israel that they're ever going to need. (coughs) It's all a picture for that. Look at in Acts 13.33, listen, says, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that He has raised up Jesus. As it also is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Remember what I told you? It's a what psalm? Enthronement psalm. When was Jesus enthroned? The resurrection After the humility, after the destruction and the death of the cross and the resurrection, God did what? He exalted him. He lifted him. He gave him an inheritance, a name above every other name. He who became a little lower. He who was willing to humble himself beyond anything you and I can even begin to imagine. God highly exalted. And so God speaks to the Son the enthronement psalm. Today, I have begotten you. Today, you are my son. He lifts him from the dead, exalts him to set him on the throne. Jesus Christ, King. Romans 1.4 says this, And he declared, Jesus is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. Why? By the resurrection of the dead. By the resurrection of the dead. God lifts him up. God exalts him. God sets him on high. He is better than the angels. He is better than the prophets. He is better than anything you can ever imagine. In fact, it is through him and by him we must be saved. His identity laid out for us. He is the Son of God. And this is all... Not only based on the resurrection, but on his special relationship with the Father. 
For I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. There's nothing like Yahweh. There's nothing like Yahweh we can even begin to imagine. Eternally existent in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we see in the beginning his position. Let's look at his preeminence. Look at verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. His rank, his preeminence. What is he? The Bible calls him the prototokos. Prototokos means he's number one, most important, most valuable, the only name under heaven by which men must be saved. He's it. He's the top of it all. In fact, what separates Christianity from every other form of religion is this simple fact. We worship Jesus Christ. If you don't worship Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. You are something else. But a Christian worships Jesus Christ as eternal God. What is it that he's laying out? His rank. Look, Colossians 1.15, we looked at last week. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's the word, prototokos. He's number one. He's first. He's the greatest. He's the best. It doesn't say of creation. It says what? Over creation. It's not talking about he's created. It's talking about the fact that he is number one over everything that exists. He is preeminent. He is number one. Look at Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body of the church. Who is the beginning? The firstborn of the dead. That in all things he may have the preeminence. That in everything he would be number one. He's not the first one who was risen from the dead. What is he? The preeminent one. He's the number one one. He's the one who rose from the dead so that we would never have to die. So that he could declare, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. We just get an extra birthday. Well, we pass from here to the presence of God. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. He says, I am the firstborn, the preeminent. I am number one. I am the first in rank. Psalm 89.27, the Old Testament says this, Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Originally, that's spoken to David. God said to David, I'm going to make you the firstborn. I'm going to make you number one, the first in rank. I'm going to set you up that you're the highest king in all the earth. He was first in rank to God. It's spoken through David to Jesus Christ. A picture, an example, that Jesus Christ is the firstborn, the preeminent one. King of kings, Lord of lords. He's above it all. The first thing we see in his preeminence, his rank, he's number one. But look what it hinges on. Look what it hinges on in verse 6. When he again brings the firstborn into the world. He's already been here once. What's he talking about? When he returns. When he again brings the firstborn into the world. Matthew 13. I don't know if it'll help, but I'll try it. Everybody says, would you stop coughing? Something's blooming. No? And it's whatever is blooming is currently living in my throat. (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to... 
exercise it, but it's, no matter how much I cough, it stays there. You know what I mean? Okay. He's talking about his return, the second return, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Matthew 13, 41. The Son of Man (coughs) will send out his angels. Wait, who sends them out? Think of it all. Son of Man. Son of Man. Who was the Son of Man? Remember Daniel chapter 7? Who was the Son of Man? He's the one who came up to the Ancient of Days and was seated at the throne, enthroned as king. Right? He's the one, Jesus Christ, Son of Man. Who's He sending? Whose angels? His angels. His angels. He's not an angel. He's the boss. He's the boss of the angels. Look what it says. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness. What's He talking about? His return. The return of Jesus Christ. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 19. In Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and He will reward each one according to His work. What's He talking about? The return of Christ. What's it say? When Christ returns, who's going to worship Him? All the angels are going to worship Him. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. So He says, Let all the angels of God worship Him. We see His rank. He's number one. Okay, we see that. We also see it's speaking about His return. But something interesting happens here that sets this all apart. I thought you're only supposed to worship God. True or not true? So the Father is speaking and He says, Let all the angels worship Him. Now God... Yahweh, Yahweh the Father said, I will not, don't you ever worship nobody but Yahweh. What does that make Jesus? If Yahweh is saying worship Jesus, what's it make Jesus? Yahweh. You say, well, I don't understand it. Have you ever seen a Yahweh before? There's nothing like Yahweh. He's a God of God, Lord of Lords. The idea that we should be able to figure it all out is a little bit arrogant and ludicrous I don't know about you I got a I bought a Harley and I can't figure it out I keep having to take it to the dumb shop but you say oh first what a shame yeah I know I feel bad too but if I can't figure out a Harley and how to fix it but I'm going to figure out Yahweh I got that handled really Man, you think a lot of your intelligence, huh? There are a lot of things I can't figure out. Uh, what else can I figure I can't figure out how to, to get a dumb elk when I go elk hunting. I'm only elk hunter you'll ever know. It's been 40 yards away, 30 yards away, and 15 yards away from an elk and still don't have one. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know. Um, whatever it is, it's not really hunting. But I, I, I can't figure that out, but I can figure out Yahweh? Now whatever goofy things I can't figure out, I promise you got some. Right? But Yahweh, man, Yahweh, that's the God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings, man, He's amazing. Listen to what Revelation 22, 8 and 9 says about worshiping God. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed them to me. 
Just in case it'd be cool to worship an angel. So he fell down to worship him. And he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am just a fellow servant. And of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship who? God. So when the Father, Yahweh, says to all the angels, when he comes back, you all are going to worship him. So I just want you to picture it. Jesus returning. All the angels. <coughs> we can't even put a number on that. There's so many. So all the angels filling all the heavens, what are they doing? Worshiping Jesus Christ as he returns. What do you think we'll be doing? <laughs> I, bet, I bet you're right. We'll be coming back worshiping Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's Yahweh. He's Yahweh the Son. Well, look what it says. Now, not only do we see the preeminence, he's number one. Not only do we see his position, we also see the purpose of God the Father. Look at verse 7. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. He's saying, look, we're going to tie this into verse 14 when we get there. But the idea is, look, here's the ministry of the angels. He created them. Now what the word tells us? In John 1, 3, it says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Speaking of Jesus. So if all things were made by him, were angels made by him? Is that part of all things? Or are they somehow excluded? <clears throat> what about in Colossians 1.16? It says, For by him, speaking of Jesus Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth. Are angels in heaven? So everything in heaven was created by him. Are they, are they on earth? Maybe some. Are they visible and invisible? Are they thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers? All things were created through him and for him. So <clears throat> he made them. Jesus is way greater than the angels. He's a creator. He's a creator. Makes him Yahweh. Who makes his angels. This is the Father speaking of the Son. And of the angels he says. Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? Who gives them the direction? Who sends them out? Who does that? Jesus does. Jesus does. He is exalted above them all. The commander of the angels, the creator of the angels, is what he's laying out. This is the majesty of the Son of God. Look at verse 8. But, I want you to see that word. Anybody ever write in your Bibles? You should do it. It's a great thing to leave behind for your kids. That word but means in strong contrast to the angels who are created and commanded by Jesus. In strong contrast, but, there's a contrast there, right? Which means, <clears throat> he is not like them, but to the Son, he says. Who says? Think about it. Who's talking? Hebrews chapter 1, who's talking? Yahweh's talking, right? Yahweh's talking. Listen to what he says. But to the Son, he, Yahweh, says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Hebrews 1, verse 8. Yahweh, the Father, calls the Son God. I don't know why we still got to argue about this all the time. All you have to do is spend a little bit of time reading the Word of God and saying, you know what? The Word of God says it. That ought to settle it. It ought to settle it. Here you have the Father, Yahweh, speaking to the Son. He says, 
Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. For you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Wow, that trippy? Anybody ever seen a Yahweh before? Yahweh, eternally existent in three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. Wow, it's crazy. It's crazy how he describes himself, how he lays it out, why Jesus is greater than the angels, why he has a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, whosoever would call upon that name would be what? Saved. Why? His name's exalted above. He's been elevated, lifted up. Why? Because the Son humbled Himself. So the Father exalted Him. One Yahweh. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Psalm 45, verse 6 and 7. That's what He's quoting from. It says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, the scepter of Your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God... Your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Interesting, interesting. What is the realization of the true identity of who Jesus is? 1 John 5.20, look at it. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we might know Him who is true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the who is the truth. This is not a hard test, right? Jesus said, I am the truth. So that you may know who is true. We are in Him who is true. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that the way our name is written in the Lamb's book of life is that we have entered into Jesus Christ. How did we enter into Jesus Christ? We entered in by faith. We believed. And so we entered in Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through, I want to say 14. You work your way through it, you'll see it. He's going to talk about all the blessings we have being in Christ. And then in verse 13, roughly, he tells us how we get in Him. By faith, we believe. And we've entered into Jesus Christ. So what's it say here? We are in Him who is true. Now, who is the truth? Jesus. It's not hard. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the He said, so you, I want you to be able to know him who is true. That's Jesus. And I want you to be in him who is true. Who do we get into? According to Ephesians chapter 1, we get into Jesus Christ, who is the truth. So far it all makes sense, right? That you may know him who is true, that we are in him who is true, in his, Yahweh's Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Jesus Christ is Yahweh. You ever seen a Yahweh before? Yeah, me neither. But it's something like you've never seen. Yahweh, God of gods, Lord of lords, eternally existent in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is. Who is He? The realization of His true identity. He's God. He's Yahweh. And what is His right to the kingdom? A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. According to Genesis 49.10, a prophecy <clears throat> that was made over Judah, 
The prophecy was, well, let me read it to you. The prophecy is this. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh. Uh, uh, the scepter will not, you will not lose the ability to rule yourself or to, to, to provide your own laws until Shiloh, until Messiah has come. Where's he going to come from? Well, this is a prophecy to Judah. So who's he going to be born from? The Lion of Judah, right? He's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. Do you know in the year that Judah lost the ability to rule over themselves, when they lost the ability to exercise capital punishment, to be their own lawgiver, rabbis ran into the streets and tore their clothes and said, the word of God has failed. Because the word of God said this wouldn't happen until Shiloh comes. If they had listened, if they had maybe stopped tearing their clothes and walked into the temple, they'd have seen a 12-year-old boy blowing away the priests with how well he knew the word of God. And when his parents who had lost him, which in and of itself is a bad thing, came and found him, he said, did you not know I must be about what? My father's business. Messiah was there. God's word is true. Every man a liar. God's word is absolutely right. Who is he? This is the realization of his identity. He is Yahweh. <clears throat> the reason he's worthy. Why is he worthy? Because you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Jesus Christ. You have loved righteousness. <clears throat> John eight forty six. Jesus said... To those who were, who were accusing him. Which of you convicts me of sin? Which of them did? None. Could they? No. They can't. Why? Because he never sinned. He who knew no sin became our sin sacrifice so that we might become the righteousness of God. But he did not sin. He did not sin. He loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, what? Yet without sin. Tempted like we are, yet without sin. What's the most difficult part of temptation? The temptation itself or the sin? Bible says he was tempted just like we are. Look, being tempted is a hard part. Blowing it and sinning, that's pretty easy. I don't know about you guys, but I, that's like, I don't even have to think about that part. But going through the temptation, well, that takes some effort, right? He wasn't always tempted as we are yet. <clears throat> Without sin, he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. He loved righteousness and hated Lawlessness. Then we see the recognition of the Father. Look at the Father speaking. Therefore God, speaking to the Son, your God, same term used of the Father, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Therefore Yahweh, Yahweh has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. What did God do to Jesus? He exalted Him. He lifted Him up. He made His name higher than every other name. Why? Because He humbled Himself. He came in the flesh, made himself a little lower than the angels so that he could become greater than the angels. So that he would be the name by which all must be saved. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So what is this anointing? This anointing is the idea of Messiah. That's all Messiah means, the anointed one. 
The one who has been anointed. That's what Messiah means. In, in Isaiah 61, listen to this. In Isaiah 61, this is a scripture Jesus read in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now in Luke chapter 4, Jesus closed the book. Why did he do that? For the next thing he said. What was the next thing Jesus said in Luke 4? Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What is he telling them? I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah and I'm here. Why did he stop where he stopped? Because that's the only way he could say today this is fulfilled. What's the next part? The next part where he stopped, what's it say? It says not only the the acceptable year of the Lord, but then in the day of vengeance of our God. The day of vengeance hasn't come yet, has it? No, the day of vengeance hasn't come. So he says, look... I'm the anointed one. I'm the Messiah. I'm come. I'm fulfilling this part of the scripture. The day of vengeance. That's the second coming. That's Revelation 6 through 19. Come on Wednesday night and we can study that together. The scripture goes on to say though in Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness. The planning of the Lord. That he may be glorified. Also we see the recognition of the Father. Therefore God, your God has anointed you. Therefore son, the Father has made you Messiah. The anointed one. The anointed one. You are the Christ. The son of the living God. And then finally, we see this relationship toward us. Look, you have been anointed with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Who's his companions? The church. He is making a bride for himself. Colossians tells us he's the head of the body, the church, the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Colossians chapter 2 Verse 9 and 10 says this, For in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. Look, for a long time, I didn't understand what was wrong with my life. What was wrong with my life is this, I'm broken, I'm a mess, i got pieces missing. I'm like, I'm like that puzzle that's in your closet that you let the kids play with, and one day you said, I'm going to take that puzzle out and put it together, and, and there's pieces missing. So you can't put the puzzle together because there's a bunch of pieces missing. But I discovered something. I discovered that in Jesus Christ, I'm complete in Him. He's got the missing pieces. He knows how to put it together. He knows how I fit. He knows how I work. He knows how I think. And I am complete in a relationship with Him. He came to bind up the broken. Right? To set at liberty the captives that were in bondage to sin. He came to do all of those things. Man, that's Jesus Christ. We are complete in Him. In Him. We're the companions, man. And we are made complete in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then the fourth thing that we're going to see in verse 10, Hebrews 1. His power. Let's look at His power. And you, Lord... In the beginning laid the foundation 
of the earth. Well, I just got to think about that for a minute. You are the creator. You are creator God. Wow. Oh, by the way, in that scripture, you, Lord, should be capitalized. What's capital L-O-R-D mean? Y-H-V-H. Yahweh. It's Yahweh. That's that word. Who's speaking? I told you. Who's speaking? The Father, right? Yahweh the Father. What did he just call the Son? You, Yahweh, are the beginning. You ever seen a Yahweh before? Look, I don't know that I can explain it and solve it all the mysteries of the world for you, but I know enough to know this. There's a lot of things I can't solve, but what I can do is read. And I can look at what I read and say, yeah, that's what it says. So then that's what it means. Yahweh the Father said to Yahweh the Son, You, Yahweh, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. When we read the scriptures, all the scriptures about creation, what did it say? Who, was, who created? Jesus, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word. All right, we're back. Okay, so in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. How many things were made by the Word? Everything that was made. He made everything, guys. He put it all together. Man, He is the Creator. He is the Creator. This is what He's laying out for Him. In creation, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. What's his point in verse 11? They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up. And they will be changed, but, strong contrast, you are the same. What's he saying? What is Yahweh the Father saying to Yahweh the Son? You are forever. You are eternal. You created the heavens, you put it all together, and you're the one who's going to do what? Fold it all up. You made it. And you're the one who's going to take it all apart. You are eternal. They are temporary. Creation, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. How's the new heaven and a new earth? What's going to happen? There's going to be a change that's going to take place. The old is going to do what? Melt. And the new will be born. This is what the word declares they will perish but you will remain second peter 3 10 <clears throat> the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat but the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up <clears throat> therefore since all these things will be dissolved what manner of person ought you be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. 
So Yahweh the Father looks to Yahweh the Son and says, You're the Creator, you're the one who put it all together, and you're the one who's going to take it all apart. You're the one who will make a new heaven and a new earth, where there will be no sun, or moon, or stars, for the Lord is its light. The Lamb is the light. There's no need for the sun in the new heaven and the new earth. There's no darkness, no shadow of turning. Man, we can't even begin to fathom the things which God has planned for us. So we see the contrast. It's passing away, but you are eternal. But Jesus Christ, is He changed? Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. One of the attributes of Yahweh is His immutability, which means He doesn't change. What is Jesus Christ? He doesn't change. He doesn't change. Why? Because He's Yahweh. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Does God the Father ever change? Nope. Does Yahweh the Son ever change? Nope. Nope. Malachi 3.6 says this, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed. That's kind of a good thing to say, right, O sons of Jacob? You know, if I changed, I'd have gave up on you. But I don't change. Once I begin a good work, I am faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? That God's going to finish what He started? That He's not going to change His mind and say, No, you know what? I didn't know you were this big a loser when I started. So I'm just going to change my mind. No, He don't do that. God doesn't change. If He says He'll do it, He'll do it. What's one of the things He said He would do? Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is God going to do it? He's going to do it. You call on His name... He will save you. He will meet you. He will make you. He will take the brokenness and make it whole. So we see this excellency of Jesus Christ on every page. Finally, what we're going to see is His place, Jesus' place, at the right hand of the Father. At the right hand of the Father. But to which of the angels has He ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? He don't say that to the angels. He's only said that to Jesus. He didn't even say that to you and me. That was Yahweh Father speaking to Yahweh Son. Sit here. I got this. You did enough. You sit here. Your work's completed. You sit here till I bring every enemy into subjection to you. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Hebrews 1.3. Just just remember what we looked at last week. saying, Speaking of Jesus. Who being the brightness of His glory. And the expressed image of His person. And upholding all things by a word of His power. When He had by Himself purged our sin. What did He do? sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Yeah, where's his place? The right hand of the Father. Sitting on a throne 
enthroned as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, then what's the point of the angels? <clears throat> what do the angels do? What are, there's a lot of talk about angels in this first chapter. What's all the talk about angels for? Well, I'm guessing some people got some backward ideas about angels. And so they're straightening out those ideas. Look, here's what the angels are. Angels are those who minister for Him. Listen to what it says. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit eternal life? So what is an angel's job? If Jesus is not an angel, if Jesus is Yahweh the Son, then what does an angel do? Well, an angel is sent out by the Son to help us. We can't always see them, but Hebrews is going to tell us, be careful that you entertain strangers. Why? Because some of you have entertained angels unaware. There are angels. What's the purpose of the angel? To help us, those who will inherit eternal life. What are they helping us? They're helping us become what we need to be. They're helping us go the right direction, make the right choices, turn the right way. I think every once in a while they trip me. I'm not entirely unconvinced that the angel is not unplugging things on the Harley just so I don't ride that day. We get to heaven, we might find out. Yeah, Jackie, I'm just saving you from a bunch of nonsense. So that's, what, that's how it works. And those are why some things don't work out. And we say, man, if God really loved me, He wouldn't do that. Oh, God loves you. That's why He sends angels. He sends His angels. They minister. They serve those who will inherit eternal life. They're here now. We can't even see the spiritual battle that's going on. Right now there are guys here who are wrestling with the concept of whether or not they're willing to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And around them, angels are battling and we can't even see it. And you think the deal's all in your head, but it ain't in your head, man. It's a spiritual battlefield. And the devil don't ever want to let nobody go. Man, I, I love in the scripture we read in the Old Testament when, when Elijah asked, prays that God would open up the, the, his servant Gehazi so he could see. Let him see. And so he opens up his eyes and for a moment he can see the spiritual battleground laid out before him. And he could understand why Elijah wasn't afraid. So we don't ever have to be afraid. What can man do? Nothing. Man can't do anything. God can do anything. God can do it all. And Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And He uses His angels to go forth to help you and I. Because apparently, we need help. Yeah. Is that news for us? I don't know about you guys. That ain't news for me. I, I need help. God help me. <laughs> Please. <coughs> as much as possible. So when we look at, at Hebrews chapter 1, I just, want you to, I just want you to grasp it. What is it that he's declaring? It's this is the highest Christology in the Bible next to the Gospel of John. What does that mean? This is the, the place where we see Jesus most elevated next to the Gospel of John. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Yahweh in the flesh. He is excellent. He is greater than anything we can imagine. He is the name above every name. And the only name by which men must be saved. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come before you. Lord, we thank you that we can be gathered together in this place. Lord, we just, uh, we just pray, Lord, that your spirit would be here with us, God. That your spirit would <clears throat> soften hearts, Lord God. We pray, Lord, that you, would, that you would help us to have the attitude toward Jesus that you want us to have, Lord. The exalted one. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods. That we would recognize that we see the things that the scriptures say about him. And we lift those up and we say, these are true. He is true. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody can come to the Father. Nobody can enter into salvation except through him. Lord God, I pray that we would see and know Jesus. God, that we would know him and we know who he is that we know what He wants, that we know what He's doing for us, that He ever lives to make intercession, that He's praying for us, Lord God, that He sends His angels, His ministering spirits to minister to us, to help us, to guide us, to, to, to be with us, Lord, that we just recognize that this world is full of spiritual battle, God, and You are fighting it for us on our behalf. God, I pray that we might come to know You. To know you completely, fully, better than we can ever imagine. Because there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. God, I pray that your word would declare, your word does declare, that if we, learning from what the Father does, would exalt the Son, if we would lift up the Son, if we would elevate the Son, if we would hold Him on high, The Son, Jesus Christ, says, Then I will draw all men to myself. Lord God, I pray in this place that we have exalted you and extolled you, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would draw all men to yourself, that they might know you, the fellowship of your suffering, and the power of your resurrection, that they might attain to the resurrection. Lord God, I pray that you would move in this place, be glorified in this place, as we give you praise. In Jesus' name.